Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, so glad that you're all with us today. I hope uh, when that last candle was lit, you lifted up some names in your heart, whether you're here with us or here with us online. Um, I've got a grandmother, a mom, a sister, and a, and a real best friend, uh, in addition to many, many of the church family. Those aren't just uh, names on a board. Those are folks, that many of whom I've journeyed with for 16 years. So we continue to do that. Uh, Evelyn, I saw you in the chat lifting up your niece, Laurel, um, who obviously went home to God too young. Um, I'm going to try to pay attention to the chat. I'm not promising I'll be able to do that when I get in my preacher storm. But as you guys are engaging with Kurt online, um, know that we're praying for you here as well. So let's just ground this in prayer. God, um, thank you for a reminder that we love you because you first loved us. You are the author of love. You breathe love and life into this world. Forgive us for the ways that we try to snuff it out. Forgive us for our indifference. Forgive us even for our hostility. And work in us, Lord, this miracle, this magic of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series, as you know, teaching series uh, on reconciled, reconciliation. And, uh, you know, this week heading into an election and next week after, we want to just continue to drink from this water. These holy waters. These are kingdom waters, okay? And when we remember the saints, we're thinking of the kingdom. Terry read uh, passages from, from that kingdom that's coming and is, all, and is here now. It's the here with us and not yet. Um, and we remember that. And last week I talked about being an ambassador of that kingdom. That's what Paul told us to be. And if you were here, you tuned in online. To be an ambassador means to represent another kingdom, another country in the midst of an existing kingdom or country. And that's what Christians are. We're, we're not physical people having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual people having a physical experience. And we represent and we're ambassadors of a, what does it say in Hebrews, of a country whose builder and architect is God. And that's coming. There's nothing that no power on earth can hold that back. Um, and, and so, but we represent now, and I spoke last week that we need to learn the language of the kingdom, right? And reconciliation, Paul said, uh, in second Corinthians, we read that was the language of reconciliation. It's the language of the kingdom. And today I want to say that reconciliation is the priority of the kingdom. There's a priority of reconciliation. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was not an ethical teacher. He wasn't like other religious leaders, not like Buddha or Confucius, wonderful, smart, amazing people. But they basically wrote teaching, an ethical teaching. Now, do this and live like this, and then you'll find God, right? 
It's, it's, a treasure, it's, a, it's a treasure map. Do these things, you'll find God. Jesus throws that right out with the wash. He said, look, I'm not going to teach you how to find God. I'm God come to find you. <laughs> right? And, and that's the bottom line. But in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, here in Matthew 5 through 7, we see hints of it in Luke. Jesus does give some teaching on how we ought to live as people of this new kingdom right? It's the ethics of the kingdom, if you will. And I love, we know many things from the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, right? Um, if somebody has something against you, uh, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of yous in there. And we always read that in first person. Like, this is my personal instruction manual. If you've been around here at Garfield, you know that I've taught on. In the Sermon on the Mount, close to 70% of the times Jesus says you it's second person plural. See, and unless you're from Mississippi, you don't have that in the English language. But they did in the Greek. You all, right? You all be like this. Jesus is sharing to us a description of what his people fitted in, we talked about last week, into his community, what it looks like. And what it looks like is having a priority of reconciliation. That's what we see in this passage. Do you see Jesus says, I want your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, some people look at Pharisees and say, they're everything that's wrong with religion. They're a bunch of fanatics, right? We don't need more religious fanatics. Well, yeah, they were fanatics about what? They were zealous for the faith. But were they fanatical about kindness? Were they fanatical about welcoming people? Were they fanatical about compassion? Jesus said, I want you to go further than just standing up and pontificating and acting like you're a zealous religious person. I want you to live this aspect of reconciliation out in your life. And he knows it's going to be demanding. He knows it. That's why he says, you need to exceed the righteousness of whoever you think is righteous. You need to put this into application in your life. Because... Jesus is reminding us that there is a priority. So look at that, that, that therefore that we have in this passage. You know, when you're teaching on something and you're teaching it, and then you get to a therefore, like that's really important, right? And in, in verses 23 and 24, Jesus says what? Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, hang on to that, and there remember that your brother sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. What? What's that say? First, go and be reconciled. And then come back and offer your gift. See, Jesus says it first. Priority. Now, this is such an important priority because I I told you don't lose the fact that Jesus said if you're offering your gift at the altar, he didn't say an altar. There were a lot of altars in Israel. Pastor Lori, Pastor Terry traveled with me and my wife and we led tours to Israel. I'm, I'm... I'm heaven bent on leading one in 2022. So if you want to jump in on that one, that's going to be a good day. Um, but we were there and we, you remember, Lori, we travel all over Israel. There were different altars. Even pagans had altars and Christians had all. They had built these different, or not Christians, they were Jews at that time, built these altars. But when somebody said in the Jewish community, if you go and gift, bring your gift to the altar, where were they talking about? There was only one, the altar. It was the temple in Jerusalem. 
And to go to the temple in Jerusalem was not like driving up here to Pepper Pike as some of you had, driving over to South Euclid, turning on your you know, big screen TV in your living room where some of you are today uh, or, or on your tablet or whatever you might be doing. That wasn't, that wasn't the deal. To go to the temple in Jerusalem sometimes required like a two-week journey. Like these were like family vacations. It took a long time. People prepared to go to the temple in Jerusalem to bring their sacrifice, to bring their gift. And do you realize what Jesus is saying? I don't care if you traveled two weeks. I don't care if you had to put your business on hold. I don't care what expense you've gone to and how much entertainment you think is at the other end of it. If there is brokenness in human community, you better leave that gift and travel two weeks back home and, and deal with your business. And be record. This is so pri- it's a priority. Like fence mending and, and bridge building, you know, and, and peacemaking and relationship repair. This is huge in the kingdom of God. It's a first. In fact, the early church knew that, and they were a very, very diverse church. These were not people that voted alike and looked alike. In fact, the early Christian church, read Rodney Stark's The Rise of Christianity. The early Christian church was the most diverse community that the world had ever seen. In fact, the Romans looked at it and said it's scandalous. They empowered women. They had people of different ethnic groups. They couldn't figure them out. And in that diversity, what? They found unity. They found a, a commitment to Christ that transcended all of their little personal agendas or political ideologies. And in that, they were intent to maintain the unity of the body. And to maintain the unity of the body, it meant when someone was weak or hurting, they took priority, not you. And so Titus, who was a lieutenant of Paul, Titus, uh, Timothy and Titus were his two little understudies. Titus, in his letter to the church, watch what he writes. He says this, remind the people, he's talking to church leaders, remind the people, do whatever is good, slander no one, Be peaceable and considerate and always gentle toward everyone. That's exactly what we see in the political arena today, right? Exactly what we see on the news. Exactly what we see on our street corners. But this is the community that Jesus died for. And he said, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies. What's a genealogy? It's a birth certificate. So don't be so impressed by where your parents are from or where you were born or what country club you go to or, or what, you know, little uh, caucus group you're a part of. Avoid that stuff. Because he said, avoid these arguments and quarrels about the law. What was that? That was the Bible. Christians have broken away from each other, quarreling about the word of God. And at the beginning, the God is saying to the church, when you do that, it's foolishness. These are unprofitable and useless. Now watch this. Warn a divisive person. Uh Uh-oh. Now notice he didn't say warn a difficult person. (laughs) A lot of difficult people. I can be difficult. Ask my better half down here. You can be difficult. But he didn't say warn a difficult person. Warn a divisive person. In the Greek it's so stark here. This is somebody intent on division. And if you are intent on division, whose work are you doing? Yes. The enemy. Warn a divisive person once. Warn them a second time after that. Have nothing to do with them. Because you may be sure that such people are warped 
and sinful, they are self-condemned. I love that. Not God-condemned. It's not that God doesn't love them. It's not that God doesn't want to seek reconciliation. But they are so intent on dividing the world for their own needs. Because people divide, it's never for anybody else's needs but their own. It's all about me because I can divide you and keep you weak. Then I get to be king. And when that happens, they're self-condemned. They're they're confessing with their life that I'm living this way to fracture and to wound and to scorn. That that I'm I'm living in the kingdom of me and I'm self-condemned. See, fighting, yelling, insulting, it's really inappropriate in this kingdom. And now, now let me tell you something. Reality TV, you tune into it, I do too. What are we looking for? Fighting, yelling, and insulting. Why the heck do people even go on The Bachelor or Bachelorette? It's for drama, right? You know, wives and husbands of the NBA, Atlanta, important people, all these little shows. We listen in, why? Because the drama's going to be good. And we see people stabbing each other in the back and there's tears and they're hurting. And, and it's a big entertainment business. Why? Because it's all funny, Right? I read a book years ago. I didn't buy it because I didn't think it'd be good in a pastor's shelf. It was called The Most Famous Insults of All Time. I had to look at it. And I don't know if you remember Winston Churchill and Lady Astor. They had this terrible feud that went on. It was in the London press for years and years. Very public lady. Very public leader. And one time publicly Lady Astor said to Mr. Churchill, Mr. Churchill, if I were your wife, I would put poison in your coffee. And Winston Churchill replied and said, Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I would drink it. (laughs) See, it's funny. It is. Until you're in it. Right? So I'm funny on TV until we're in broken relationships. Broken community, broken human community causes misery. How many of you know that? It causes misery. When I was in seminary, Tony Campolo, he came and preached for us in 2011, very famous evangelist, and he would come down from Philadelphia to Princeton Seminary, and he'd sit at lunch tables, and I would just go every time and developed a relationship with him. And I'll never forget, he told us one time of, of a fracture in his own life. He said he grew up in Philadelphia, went to Philadelphia public schools. His parents didn't have a lot of money, um, and, you know, they were kids would be kids, and, uh, you know, they were in there, and, and he said, there was a young boy at school named Ronnie. He said, Ronnie was gay. We thought, acted like he was. We didn't know. Um, and we taunted Ronnie. He said, after all, I went to the Baptist church, and the Baptist preacher told me they're all going to hell anyway, so w- why not? Just, and he said, we were picking on him. We would do stuff in his locker. He said, when Ronnie got to gym class, we would flick him with towels. We, he would stand outside. He wouldn't go in the showers until all the boys were out. We made fun of him. He said, I wasn't in school the day that um, some of the boys dragged Ronnie into the showers in gym class and urinated on him. He said, Ronnie went home that day and took his life. Dr. Campolo said, it was at that moment that I knew I wasn't a Christian. And see, broken, broken relationships are kind of funny until you're in it. And here's an evangelist. Here's somebody that ministered to me, to, call it, to people in the faith. And decades later, it was still haunting him. And Jesus said, you need to make broken relationships a priority. You need to make the mending of human community a priority. And he gives us a principle. This is a principle I wrote down. It's not even a word. It's a preacher word. But I said, kingdom relationship principle, lovelessness equals murder. 
That's what Jesus says. Lovelessness equals murder. You say, well, well, Chip, where is that? I never read it. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder, right? You shall not murder. What's he referring to, class? What's he referring to? Nobody here? Let me see if anybody online gets it. Shout out if you know. Nobody here knows? Somebody in the chat got it. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. I can't believe you guys didn't get that. Okay, let me start over. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the... No, I mean... Um, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not kill. You shall not murder. What's very interesting, whenever Jesus quotes the scriptures, you know what he says? He says, it is written. When when Satan confronted him, turned stones into bread, what did Jesus say? It is written. You don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes to the mouth of God. Jesus didn't say here, it is written. Little small thing. He said, you've heard it said. What's the difference? He's saying, I'm not talking about the commandment itself, you shall not kill. I'm talking about what you've heard about it. I'm talking about how preachers like Chip are up there talking about it. And he said, unfortunately, <coughs> excuse me, all the preachers have ever told you about is the external uh, behavioristic aspect of murdering somebody, of killing somebody. So if you have not physically taken somebody's life, you're off scot-free. And Jesus said, they didn't get it right. I want your righteousness, remember, to exceed. (laughs) He said, I say to you, if you've been angry at your brother or sister, if you've said raka, if you've said morals, you have murdered them. Woo! That's some tough stuff, bro. Right? And I had to dig into this. What does this mean? Jesus is saying, if you get angry... The, the word anger, see, in, in English we have one word. To be angry means anger. There's like 17 words for anger in the Greek. So you've got to dig down to what this really is. And the word here literally means to uh, be swelled up with poison. To let your heart swell up with poison. Most often this word is used for resentment. Right? And when you think about it. How much of what happens, horrible things in the world, murder, you know, violence, it happens out of resentment. Somebody is feeling resentful. Nobody understands me. I'm always overlooked. Nobody cares about me. They only care about those people. They don't care about my people. And resentment is, you know, everything that makes a tree is in the acorn. Resentment was what led Cain to murder his brother Abel. (coughs) Jesus said, if that kind of poison swelling up in your heart, that's murder. And he said, if you call somebody Raka, now everybody here and all of you online, you're saying, oh man, I'm safe. I never called anybody Raka. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like I've said some more, I never said Raka. What Raka means is nobody. You nobody, you non-person. Now guess what? We don't verbally say that to people. If you're going to insult somebody, you don't go up and go, you non-person, right? Like I played division one college ball. We trash talk. Can you imagine that? Like somebody elbowing me and I go, you non-person. I'd have got laughed off the court. We don't say that. But what do we do? We live it. We act it. It's called indifference. We're indifferent to people. They're just non-people to me because of fill in the blank. Their lifestyle, their culture, their you know, political persuasion, whatever it is. And Jesus said, when you treat people as non-people, you're committing murder. And if you call them moros, now M-O-R-O-S, that's the word. It was interpreted fool in our scripture today, but the word is moros. Now, come on, you guys are going to get this one. That's a Greek word, 
And what do you think eumoros means? Moron, good. We're getting somewhere, class. I love it. It's the only Greek word we can figure out, right, without my help. And that's what it means, you moron. That's where we get that word. And it's from, literally means idiot. And Jesus said, if you call somebody idiot, if you murder their reputation and murder their character, and when you name call, the only reason you're name calling is you want that person to believe what you're saying about them is true. And if they are dumb enough like I've been to actually believe those kind of lies, then you've put a dagger in their heart that no surgeon can remove. And Jesus said, you don't do that. Now, I, I, like you, I had an issue when I was preparing for this message. Because I had to, I've been watching TV, you know. We see some people doing some pretty weird things these days, don't we? Especially in election year. It just gets weirder and weirder. And I said to the Lord, God, aren't there some idiots? I mean, I saw a few on TV. I mean, aren't there idiots? And, and, and basically the Lord said to me, yeah, sure, they're idiots. And, and you're one of them. But um, yeah, he's like, yeah, sure, they're idiots. But he said, but how do you view idiots? Do you have compassion for them? Do you have sympathy? Do you have empathy? Or do you just sneer at them? Because if you just sneer at them, what's happening to your heart? It's hardening. And that's why Jesus says we got to be in this reconciliation business. And that's why I say first, if you go to the altar and remember, there's a brokenness. I want you to fix it. Why? Because we really need a new community. There's a necessity in God's kingdom for the new community. We need it. We're hungry for it. We all know this. That's why, like, even, even great American heroes, if we want to, they all have said it before. What did Benjamin Franklin say? We can hang together, we can hang separately. What did Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. say? He said, we need to learn uh, to discover our world over. I love how that man talked. We need to discover our world over and realize that we can learn to live and love one another as brothers and sisters, or we can just perish together as fools. Everybody knows this. We need a new community. Jesus is saying, I need you to be in the midst of that. It's your responsibility. I love this because he said, look, if you come to the altar and you remember, your brother or sister has something against you. It didn't say you have something against them. If they have something against you, they have a grievance against you. You don't have a grievance with them. Now, I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm human. I've got the same temptations you do. And I, I got mad at the Lord with this one. I said, hey, wait. What do you mean? If he has something against me or she has something against me, isn't their responsibility to come and talk to me about it? And God said, yes. And I don't care. <laughs> because it's always, the move is always on you. Later in Matthew 18, he'll say, if you have something against someone, I want you to make the move. So Jesus said, I don't care who caused it. I don't care if they have something against you. I don't care if you have something against them. I don't care if, with the brokenness in the community. It is your job as my ambassador, as part of my kingdom, to be in the work of reconciliation. That's your job. All the time. And sometimes I'm not ready. Now listen, Scott's going to take us to the communion table. I can tell you a story, but I'm out of time. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't prepared for this when we film our heritage service on Thursdays. When Scott takes you to the table today, don't come with sleep in your eyes. Listen. Because he gave a challenge, and that challenge cut me in my heart. And, and there was somebody that I need to reach out to. There's a brokenness in my own life. Um, ministry fracture along the way that happens. And uh, I just I felt like, man, I, that's, that's kind of unresolved. And you know what I said in the sanctuary when we were filming? I was like, God, you know, I, I, I'm just not sure I'm ready. 
And you know what the Spirit of God kind of said to me? Where in that scripture does it say, if you come to the altar to bring your gift, if you're ready? (laughs) No, go. So I'm going to go to that water too, okay? We need this. We need this community. When I go fishing way up north, I've taken my boys up there. I go up to the Northwest Territories, northern Saskatchewan. I go up. A, I was caught in a blizzard one time on the 4th of July up by the Arctic Circle. And you're like, why would you do that? You're from Cleveland. Why go to snow in July? I don't know. I want to catch big fish. But we go up there and fish. And when you're up in that northern area and we are survival stuff and we got all that, water is essential. So, you know, you can't take water in. It's too heavy. So we take our filters to filter the water to make it drinkable. And what we do is you have jugs and you will pour that water into the jugs, the filtered water, or into buckets for washing, right? But when you wake up in the morning and it's like 25, um, there's ice that's formed at the top of those jugs and buckets, right? So what do we have to do? Right away, you have to, you have to shake that, get the ice out, break that. Why? Why do you do that every morning? Because if you don't, the whole thing's going to freeze. It's the same way with your heart. A little haughtiness, a little uh, moros, a little resentment, a little of this. We need to be in a community of reconciling people, you do and I do, that they are shaking our bucket all the time. They're making us talk to, who do you talk to about your pride? Who do you talk to about your character flaws? Who do you talk to when you're sad? Who do you talk to when you're, when you're down? If you don't have a community of reconciling people, that ice will build and build and build, and pretty soon your whole heart will become cold. We need this community. And this is the community that Jesus calls us to build. Now, let me, let me, let me close with a story that um, I, I, I love C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, right? The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, all that. C.S. Lewis was preaching the gospel, if you know, through fantasy, through a children's book. And in this, in this fantasy, Aslan, the lion, is the Christ figure. And Aslan was killed and resurrected again, just like Jesus and as Aslan the lion is resurrected to be the lion, he, he now, Lewis said, after the resurrection, is going to lead these children in Narnia to be his church. And what does Aslan say right after the resurrection? Let me read this to you because I think Lewis is making an important point. It said this, Aslan, after he's raised back from the dead, he says, now to business, we have places to go, we have things to do, we have a long journey ahead, and you must ride on me. That's what the king says to the church. We got places to go. We got fences to mend. We got things to do. But we need to ride on Jesus. We need to be close to Jesus. He says, and the lion Aslan crouched down and the children climbed onto his warm golden back. And Susan sat first, holding on tightly to his mane. And Lucy sat behind, holding on tightly to Susan. And with a great heave, he arose underneath them and shot off faster than any horse could go. Now, something very interesting. Lewis is so particular about character development in this story. Something catches your eye. That Susan got on first and held on to the lion, and Lucy held on to Susan. Wait a minute. Lucy, if you read the book, is the dear heart. Lucy is the one who spiritually gets it. Lucy is closest to Aslan. Lucy is your very faithful, uh, anointed, pure person. She's close. She's deep in the faith. She's spiritually enlightened. Susan is the youngest. She's a little obtuse. She doesn't get it all the time. She doesn't understand what's going on. And if you read the book, Susan's kind of cruel to Lucy a lot. So why, when Lewis tells the story, does he say that it's Susan who gets on first? And Lucy, the only way she can hold on to Aslan is by holding on to Susan. See, this is what Jesus is saying. This is the way I work. If you want to hold on to me, 
you got to hold on to Susan. If you got to hold on to me, you got to hold on to difficult people. If you want to hold on to me, you're going to have to hold on to people who aren't look like you. If you want to hold on to me, you're going to have to hold on to people who, who disagree, are disagreeable sometimes with you. You've got to hold on to people. You've got to hold on to community. You've got to leave your gift and go and get it right and hold on to the Susans in the world. Because that's the way it works. So if you say, well, I just want to be like Lucy. I, I want to climb onto Aslan. I want to ride Jesus all on my own. I, I don't care about other people. The God of the Bible says, then you're going to have to make up your own kind of God because I don't work that way. I'm intent on community. Now, I learned this in my own life. I'm going to close with this. I got two minutes. I learned this in my own life. When I was at Colgate University, I went there to play basketball. You know, the older I get, the better I used to be. Um, and, uh, you know, that was what I was consumed with. I also went to Colgate, a very broken young man. I won't go into it. I was angry. I was hurt. There was problems in my life. I always say, no pun intended, I had a chip on my shoulder. Uh, I had a mountain on my shoulder. I got thrown out of my first two games at Colgate for fighting. Almost lost my scholarship. Um, and the college chaplain intervened in my life. His name was Dr. Coleman Brown. He's one of the saints I named today. He officiated my wife and I's wedding. He was a spiritual mentor in my life. He's the man that brought me to Jesus Christ. And Coleman uh, became my Aslan. He was the one I clung to. And when I was called to ministry, it was Coleman who flew in to lay hands on me when I was ordained. It was Coleman when I'd be in the middle of the night struggling with a sermon, didn't know what to do, I could call, and he would mentor me through. But being a broken uh, sophomore at Colgate, pretty much suicidal, leaning on this man. He said to me, you know, I, if you want to be with me, he said, I got this group of students. We meet at my house every Thursday night. Um, his wife, Irene, they cook a meal. And I want you to come down and be part of that. They're part of university church because you're not going to get well on your own. So you need to be in community. Now, you know, I was a jock, right? And you remember back in high school, the jock and the science nerds and all that. See, you thought we started this with liberals, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats. This stuff started on the playground. I mean, you know that. We're just so miserably broken. We just keep living it out. And that's why we all act like five-year-olds, especially those that get in front of the camera the most, right? Because it's just brokenness. And here I am, I'm a basketball player. All my friends are basketball players or baseball players. And I don't know these kids. Who am I going down to? And Coleman said, no, come down. I thought, okay, well, I need my Aslan. I need to be, he was my Christ figure. So I went down, I'll never forget that first Thursday night, and I walked into this room, and there was this group of students, and they were students that, like, they were a lot of science students. They were English majors. They were folks I didn't even talk to on the quad. Right, and I'm wearing my basketball, like, you know, pregame jersey or whatever. I want people to know who I am. You're lucky to have me here, Right. And I sat down at the table, and across the table from me was a young man named Fritz. And Fritz, um, I knew. Fritz was in my freshman dorm. My freshman dorm, the third floor, we were all the basketball recruits were on that floor. Second floor and first floor were others. One night, on freshman year, we beat Holy Cross. It was a big win on a Wednesday night. And we came back. We brought some kegs of beer. We brought some cars. We were in the public area. We were getting drunk. We were, we were acting like fools um, just for attention's sake. And uh, Fritz came up from the second floor. Fritz was a goody two-shoes. He's from Connecticut, like preppy. I'm from Youngstown. I didn't know what Izod was, um, you know. And Fritz came up, and, and Fritz, in a very, very, you know, nice way, he said, hey, guys, you know, can you either tone it down or take the party somewhere else? I got a big exam tomorrow. 
I didn't call Fritz Rocca. I didn't call him Moros. I was worse. I put a dagger in that brother's heart. I cussed him out because I felt good. Get out of here. You know, you blah, 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 blah. We're, we're the basketball player. We just beat Holy Cross. You go sleep in the street as far as I care, right? I went down to Coleman's house. I sit at the table where I'm face to face with Fritz. And uh, I got to tell you something. Coleman was a very, very wise person. Because you know what he was saying to me? Chip, you want to be with me? You want to be with Jesus? You got to hold on to Fritz. And guess what, Chip? If Fritz wants to be with me, he's got to hold on to you. And he'd rather you not be here, to be very honest with you. And you know what? I had the privilege to preach at Coleman's service when one of the main preachers there when he died. And you know who I sat in the pew with at the Coleman's service? I hadn't even thought about that. I sat there with Fritz. Because I had a lot of buddies on the basketball team and athletic dorm. But I'm going to tell you, it was that community. It was that table. It was those people that got me through and broke the ice in my heart. And I don't know where I'd have been if I wasn't taught. Hey, Chip, you're at the altar. You want to be with me? Leave your gift. Go get away with Fritz. Hold on to him. Let him hold on to you. And you'll find the community that I died to build. Will you work for that, friends? Let's go to Christ's table. Let's go to Holy Communion. Pastor Scott's going to lead us.